Welcome, everyone. This is Chris Tubbs, President-Elect for the California Fire Chiefs Association, and today we have Episode 2. Uh, we're going to be talking with Chief Fennessy on the virus system, uh, but before we do that, I'm going to introduce Ray Geick, our current president, for an update of all things Cal Chiefs. Hey, everybody. How's everything going? Hope uh, you're doing well out there. Um, so the, pretty excited. This is our second podcast we get to do. Um, have a great guest today, uh, Chief Fennessy from OCFA. He's going to talk a little bit about the fire stuff. But before we get into that, I wanted to touch just on a little bit of what's going on with uh, Cal Chiefs. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of things going on from an EMS standpoint. I'm going to focus on that today. Um, we've we've uh, been doing our strategic planning process. Again, I think most of you know through our e-blast that um uh, Cal Chiefs has been invited to sit in the um, strategic planning process with uh, state IMSA. Uh, we've had our second meeting now. Uh, what's going to really happen is um, we're sending um, this information out uh, shortly uh, to our exec team, our EMS section. They're going to be looking at, there's basically four major goals that uh, state IMSA is going to be looking at. Um, and out of all of these goals, there's going to be working groups that are going to be um, attached to these goals. So with that being said, uh, there's going to be uh, four people on um, our working groups that we're going to be able to assign from Cal Chiefs. So our goal is to reach out to our membership and get some folks involved in these working groups so they can uh, lend their expertise, their subject matter, um, experts, we have we have them up and down the state. So what we're going to try to do is balance it out in the north and the south. And uh, so I'm going to be working with our executive team and also our EMS uh, section. And we're going to start getting people lined up um, on these groups um, in the next uh, month or so. So the way it's going to be kind of lined out is our next meeting um, is really going to happen in um I think it's going to happen in September. And uh, based upon that, uh, every other month, uh, the working groups are going to be going. I think those are going to be um, Zoom or Teams only. The rest uh, from here on out are not going to have a Zoom option. So we're all going to have to meet in person. Um, but the strategic planning process has been going very well. Uh, Chris and I... Um, are both representing Cal Chiefs on that committee. And uh, it's, it's, it's plugging away. Our goal is to um, have enough information um, and direction by October when we have our, our planning meeting. We're hoping to get our planning meeting in October. By that time, uh, President-elect Tubbs will be the new president and he'll be taking that over. Uh, one thing we did find this year from a legislative standpoint was um, historically our planning meetings have been in January and quite frankly, those are just too late to get the legislative uh, agenda squared away. So really what we're doing is we're going to have it in October. Um, uh, President Tubbs will be taking care of that and uh, we're going to hope to develop our legislative uh, uh, you know, platform agenda uh, during that time. 
And uh, I think we'll have enough time through the strategic planning process to um, have a good idea of where things are going from an EMS standpoint um, and see if there's some legislative things we're going to need to clean up on that end. So that's kind of what's going on. Uh, the other thing is the other big item we're working on right now is uh, through uh, community paramedicine. As all of you know, uh, that's uh, slated to sunset in, um, in 2024. So what our objective is with that is to get as, um, as much of that work done as we can. And then realistically, we're probably going to have to add some more legislation to that to extend uh, what the community paramedicine program is. Uh, we have our team from our EMS section working right now. We have a, we have a meeting set uh, with MSAC and MDAC, which if you don't know who those are, the M MSAC is basically all of, it's the group similar to Cal Chiefs that represents the uh, LEMSAs in California. Um, MDAC is basically the emergency medical directors um, that are out there. So uh, we're working with those two groups and state EMSA to start to develop out some programs um, and work really hard on getting some some baseline uh, programs that are set. Our, our goal would be to, if you are interested in community paramedicine, your department's interested in it, and you want to do something, but you don't know where to start. Our goal is to build a set curriculum up. Our goal is to set up some programs that you'll be able to take and then emulsify or, or customize to your own needs, um, but you'll have a place to start. And that's going to be one of the uh, things that we're working with uh, Cal Chiefs and all of our other partners on that, um, because it, it has to, it's very difficult to start one of those programs from scratch, as you may know. So that's kind of one of the big things, one of the big heavy lifts that we're going to be doing. Um, but with that, Chris, I think those are kind of the two major things we have going on uh, from an from a EMS standpoint. I think next time uh, on the next update, maybe we can hit um, a little bit more of the wildland um, uh, stuff and, and maybe you can give us an update on the wildland, uh, some of the committees that we're on, if that, if, if that works. Yeah, Ray, and thanks for the update on the EMS side. As you and I discussed, we're hoping to, in a future episode, also get Director uh, Bassnett on to talk about uh, the strategic plan and the direction of EMSA in the future. And I think that will be uh, insightful for our folks. But as you said, we've got a lot of other topics lined up. Uh, wildland environment is one of those. But today, uh, you and I are both uh, very excited about having Chief Fennessy join us today for a discussion on the FIRES program, which most of our members in Southern California are probably very aware of. But as it has been recently launched in Northern California, I think there's still a lot of folks uh, up here that are not um, necessarily aware of FIRES, how it uh, sort of came into being and really what it's its uh, purposes. So let me first off by starting uh, an introduction with Chief Fennessy. Uh, Ryan, welcome. Glad you could join us today. Thanks, Chief Tubbs. Good to be here. So I think a great place to start, of course, is well, what is FIRES? Sure. It's, the, uh, it's an acronym for the Fire Integrated Real-Time Intelligence System, F-I-R-I-S. Um, it's a uh, it's a uh, part of a system, really, more than it is a one thing. But um, 
it may be helpful to share a little bit about the the history to kind of get us to, to how it turned into kind of virus. And I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. But uh, back in 2016, when I was the fire chief in San Diego uh, with the city, the mayor of the city um, had uh, friends up at General Atomics in the north end of the city. And General Atomics is a Department of Defense contractor uh, that builds a Predator and a variety of uh, variations of uh, unmanned uh, aircraft that the military uses. And the mayor had this vision of a Predator or something else flying the city and the county 24 hours a day, ready to swoop down on fires. And, and well, it was a little bit out there. Um, you know, I did uh, go up and talk to the folks at General Atomics and learned pretty quick, you know, they employ uh, obviously uh, former military and, and special operations folks. And um, what I learned was that in war theater, uh, many times there are more manned aircraft flying than there are unmanned, contrary to popular belief. And both have a, both have their unique uh, qualities uh, what is unique about, you know, manned aircraft is, you know, you can tell the pilot, let's fly over there. We see some dust over there. Let's go do this. And, and so it's a bit different than um, uh, perhaps the Predator and how they work. But together, they work you know, the same way. Um, in talking with uh, the special operators, they want to learn more about, you know, our wildland fire mission. And what we found pretty quickly is we really do have kind of the same needs and, and desires in terms of having real-time information, whether it be maps, video, live stream, um, to make better decisions. You know, as, as you all know, um, any information that's three, four, five minutes old, let alone 10 minutes old, is old information. So providing us maps, IR, well, whatever it is, after the fact, it's just not uh, not something that works. So, uh, again, long story short, that program progressed, uh, introduced UCSD um, supercomputer lab uh, scientists to the folks at General Thomas because they, at the time, in 2015, 16, 17, were building wildfire spread models using the supercomputer. We thought that perhaps having, you know, a camera on an airplane uh, utilizing the spread model would give us what we would say continuous uh, spread modeling. As it ends up, it, it did. And in 2017, um, we flew a, a fire in North San Diego County that was wind driven and validated the efficacy of that spread model. So in the end, what we're trying to do being firefighters is, is you know, I, I can remember you know, standing in the back of a, a suburban or, or, you know, whatever it is, watching the fire go over the hill, you know, getting phone calls, whether it be from the media, from the mayor, from whomever. And, and it's always the three questions, always. Uh, it's where's the fire? How big is the fire? And where's the fire going? Those are three questions. If you go back in time, in 1910, there was the the big burn right up in uh, up in the northern Rockies, killed 87 people, burned three million acres. The Forest Service did a report and uh, and released it a year to the date of the fire. And those were the same three questions that they felt needed to be asked. So and everybody has different reasons to wanting to know that, whether it's the firefighter riding in the back of the engine, whether it's the, the company officer, the battalion chiefs that are managing it, the policymakers, whatever. 
where's the fire? How big is it? Where's it going? And so over time, we incorporated the mountaintop cameras to really get an idea of what you know, those fires are looking like. Uh, so the crews can kind of triage whether or not they respond. Just a, a complete different uh, look. So right now, um, you know, we were able to, um, a few years ago, we were asked to come up and present to a joint assembly Senate technology committee. And we presented this shovel ready package. We just needed some funding. Fortunately enough, we were able to, a local assembly member, uh, Connie Petrie Norris, was able to identify four and a half million dollars in the budget. And we launched a 150 day pilot program, 2019. It was so successful, we wanted to repeat. Uh, we didn't have a funding source. We ended up uh, working with the D-Risk group, the former D-Risk group, Cal Chiefs is a, is a big leader on, and uh, identified some funding that potentially could have been used or could be used. And we met with, um, we met with Cal OES and we pitched what we wanted to do and, and they agreed to fund uh, 2020. Two aircraft, one aircraft in Northern California at McClellan Airport and one down south at Los Alamitos. One was a 24-hour aircraft. The other up north was a 12-hour aircraft. So successful was that that uh, the program continued and additional funding has been, uh, has been applied to the program. This year, the governor uh, made a $30 million uh, proposal in his budget to bring the program over to the state to be managed by Cal OES, partner with Cal Fire and local government. And that budget item was funded. So $25 million has gone to Cal OES, another 5 million to Cal Fire for positions for the aircraft. And we are now Orange County in the process of transitioning between now and January 1st, all of the, the program over. So today there's a 24 hour uh, aircraft working out of McClellan that we dispatch and manage on behalf of Cal OES and one here in Southern California. They've been very, very busy, uh, mostly in Northern California since that, uh, since that time. So I apologize for the long, but it's been a long history to get us to where we are now. That's great. Um, you answered a lot of the uh, original questions I think we were going to hit on, but you know, what, what I love to ask now is, you know, kind of boots on the ground. What, what information and at what levels would people, this information be valuable? Cause I always look at it, you know, there's a ton of data out there, but if that's not valuable and we're not using it to make decisions, it's just kind of cool stuff. You know what I mean? Looking at, you know, a ton of information is really neat. But how do right. the operators on the ground use this platform and what's the value to them? I agree. I, I mean, I'm the same way, uh, Chief. I mean, you and I probably stood back in the same suburbans. I don't need a bunch of when things are going, I don't need too much information coming my way. So having, you know, we having that experience identified that it had to be something really simple. Right. I can't. I can't have a login and a password I got to remember. That's too much. In the heat of battle, I'm not going to do it. And, and as you said, it can't be so much information that I'm turning my head. We, we still, I believe, in the fire service need to see, touch, smell, hear. You know, technology is never going to do away with that. So it has to be something. If I'm going to use it myself, it has to, and I'm on the ground, it has to be simple. I have to be able to hit an app. It has to come on. Um, 
it has to be what we would call Dr. Seuss simple. I need a picture. If I can see the picture, it tells me the story. I don't need a bunch of words. And I'm not a techie guy. I'm not. Um, uh, and so that's what you have uh, right now on the on the WhatsApp. It's it's easy to access. I sent uh, earlier um, some forms to uh, you both on how to get others in. It's basically virus alerts at ocfa.org. Um, just get us your phone number and, and we'll get it in there. But it is it, it, within five minutes of arrival, you're going to get a perimeter map. You're going to get a perimeter map, uh, a, a snapshot of, I mean, down to the tenth of an acre. You're going to get, you know, direct protection area. You're going to get three colors. You're going to get green, yellow, or, or white. Green being fed, yellow being state. And so you're going to have in your pocket. Now, that may not mean much to the guy sitting in the back, the guy or the gal sitting in the back. But if you're the first in company, you know, dispatch is going to be asking you, who, who is this on? You know, is this us? Is it the Forest Service? Everybody's going to want to know. So you're going to get that information and you're going to get, you know, some real time video, um, not only color, but IR. You're going to be able to see through the smoke and you're going to be able to see where really that fire has that fire across the road. Is it at the top of the ridge? How frustrating is it? We're back of the suburban again. The fires run up the top of the hill, but we got no more eyes on it. We're now reliant upon radio transmissions. And I think we always will be, and that's not a bad thing. But now we've got the ability to quickly glance over and go, okay, I know it's crossed. How can I put my resources in place? The spread modeling, which I think is, is pretty uh, simple, uh, is that you know, you're getting what is that fire going to do in a half hour increments? And if I've got to evacuate a community, well, I don't have to evacuate blocks and blocks. I need to evacuate that area that it's going to hit first. We, I think, um, over-evacuate people sometimes because we don't have that information. We'll tell law enforcement to clear out wide swaths of the public, and, and they do a very good job of that. And I think we do a good job of it. But repopulating is hard, and it's political, and there's pressures. And so the degree we only have to evacuate those that need to be evacuated, it's, it's a great tool. So I guess back to your question, if I'm the person in the back of the engine, I might be looking at, man, how fast is this fire moving? What does it look like? I'm getting my own essay. I'm the company officer. I'm gathering it. I'm gathering that essay and something else. The battalion chiefs are the policymakers. That same mayor I used to work for, it's answering his question. Where's the fire? How big is it? Where's the fire going? I don't have to keep picking up the phone. And I think it's um, it's doing that very well because it is simple, right? It is not anything difficult to understand. I don't need somebody to explain what I'm seeing. It's all right there. And I don't need a password. I don't need a logon. I can access it quickly. And so I think that's, you know, for the firefighter, I, I think that's one of the biggest benefits is just its simplicity. That's great. Thanks. Yeah, Chief, I was really intrigued by one of your comments earlier uh, when you were t you were talking about going to General Atomics and having discussion between both manned and unmanned aerial platforms. And one of the questions I've already heard, um, as we might all guess from some of our um, policyholders, is 
Why do they have to be man? Why could they not be unmanned? Can you talk a little bit about maybe what you learned as the differences between the man and unmanned? In other words, the value and maybe what is sort of the long-term future? Will we always have a need for unmanned or is there a space in the future to sort of transition from that? That's a great question. You know, and I got that uh that very question by one of the legislators during Cal Fire's uh, one of their budget hearings. I was invited to to be there, and that's exactly what was asked. Because it was the same question I had. Listen, I, I I watch movies, I watch TV, I see drones and predators and all that that cool stuff. I had no idea, you know, we had as many manned aircraft flying in in war theater than we do, and that was kind of an enlightenment enlightenment to me. And as, as what was shared with us by, you know, members of the special operations community was together, you know, they each provide something different, but together you get a larger picture, you know, in a, as I understand it, and I'm not an expert that's just been shared with me, you know, on, on some of these predators or these larger unmanned aircraft drones, you know, you've got a pilot on the ground somewhere and they say, it's like looking through, it's like looking through a tube. So they don't have the advantage of a peripheral vision. And if you look at the flight patterns, they generally fly, they're wide, they're, you know, they're gathering information way out. Where the manned aircraft, as I understand it, um, and it makes sense, and, and we've certainly seen it, is you have the ability now to change direction, to provide information that really only a human can do. Um, they shared with me some of the uh, change detection uh, technology that they were using in the Middle East. They were able to fly with this technology. And it's the same change technology that we have on board uh, both virus aircraft, able to identify where IEDs were being placed simply by seeing disturbance you know, in the sand on the roads after a convoy has gone through. I mean, you're talking to fractions of inches, just a little bit of disturbance. And they said that more IEDs were likely found that way by passing, you know, after a convoy or whatever. So it was really kind of enlightening. A lot of things you can do in an airplane, you know, because you've got humans in there, again, you're not going to be able to do in an unmanned aircraft. You don't have that field of vision. Nothing, and in, in, in talking to the military, nothing's going to replace that human uh, component. Uh, there are tools like the unmanned aircraft that help with decision-making, but they have their unique and specific qualities, whereas, you know, humans and, and aircraft will always have, um, they believe, you know, some functionality. And, and uh, so really that was, that was a difference. It was an aha for me. I think it was an aha for the legislators we spoke to during the Cal Fire uh, budget hearings. But, yeah, it was something I didn't know, and I don't think it's, it's something that a lot of people are aware of. Yeah, I remember uh, I had the opportunity to listen to those uh, budget meetings. I think um, I was asked to uh, to come on and, and support it from Calchies, and and I did. I think we had a couple of those hearings that we had get a couple that you were um, on there. You did a great job on that. And one of the things that stood out to me was obviously this was a uh, a project that your department OCFA uh, started. Um, you know, probably started sounding like it started actually probably in your days in San Diego and it kind of came to fruition at, at OCFA. Um, now it's been budgeted. There's money there. How do you see that transition and what has that transition been um, from the actual pilot program to what we're going to see today? Has that already begun? Has that, is that in the works? 
is it already complete? Where are you guys at with that? Oh, that's a great question. It's it's still happening. So, you know, we talked a lot about transition last year. And the, and the reality is, of course, Cal OES and, and none of the state agencies are have access to, you know, this year's budget until July 1, right? And so, you know, to ensure there was no interruption in service, uh, we've been uh, given another 180 days of funding uh, to basically provide what we've been providing, you know, with the idea being that, a complete handoff um, will occur January 1. So we've got really six months to functionally transition. Um, the day-to-day operation um, hasn't changed at all other than, you know, moving the, the 12-hour aircraft in Northern California to 24 hours. That's probably the biggest um, change. There's now uh, another sensor on there. It's called a, a SAR. It's a, I won't even try to, I, I don't know what the active, but basically you can see through cloud. This is an all hazard resource. I think because wildland fire is such a focus for us here in the West and in California, that's obviously most of what it's been doing, but it needs the ability to, it can see through smoke and see through everything, but it can't see through, through cloud or fog, right? And so we needed a sensor that could do that. So one has been added. So that's a big add in the transition. If there's an earthquake in San Francisco, LA, whatever, and we can't provide information or intelligence because the marine layer is in, that's a bad thing. And so, you know, some of the sensors that are on the aircraft, there are no other aircraft in the country that have all these sensors. There are none that are providing, you know, the information in real time. Um, we're working very closely with Cal OES now in that transition. Uh, Cal Fire is a part of that. They're adding positions. Uh, we have some philosophical um, challenges. What is information? What is intelligence? What should be made public? What shouldn't? So we're, we're going through those and they're healthy discussions, um, really interesting ones. Um, you know, the report on conditions that we all get that come automatically from Cal Fire. The acreage on those wasn't matching what Firus was putting out. Forced us to get with Cal Fire and say, listen, how can we, you know, how can we communicate this so you can get the acreage out on these things right? Well, it's pretty simple. It's just a matter of the Firus aircraft talking to the air attack on scene or the guys on the, the IC on the ground and letting them have that information and boom, it's, it's done, it's solved. So some of these things are going on, but one of the more interesting things is it's driving a, a cultural discussion is, you know, when is information sensitive? When isn't it? Right. So we've had a Twitter site for, I don't know, two years. It's just surpassed 10,000 viewers. And so the agencies get the information from Friaris first, but not long after it goes to this Twitter site. Well, the media's figured it out as has the public. So now we're starting to see virus feeds on the national newscasts. And we all grew up under ICS, you know, and ICS tells us that, you know, no information incident information is to be released without the approval of the IC or delegate or something like that. Right. Well, that, that worked probably up into about 10, 15 years ago. Right. I mean, that's just not with social media. That's just not even feasible anymore. And in fact, our agencies, your agencies, Cal Chiefs, CPF, Cal, everybody's pushing information out to the public faster than we've ever seen it. 
So why would we hold on to information that truly isn't sensitive? You know, uh, we've had people contact us via email, Twitter posts, some citizen that said, listen, I got, I was out at the store, they evacuated, I can't get back in, but I'm looking at this Twitter post, I can see the fires a mile from my house, I'm really relieved. So even the public is getting good information from it. Um, the incident management teams are getting real time. We're flying the oak fire now three or four times a day. Uh, it's just amazing. Um, and, and the public is loving it to the point where I don't know that it can be shut off. And we've had discussions with Cal OES. You know, there's consequences to that. We work for you, the state. If you and Cal Fire would like us to discontinue doing this, we can do that. We work for you. But understand there's going to be consequences. Uh, both from the public uh, relations side and the media side. We just need an email to tell them who to go talk to. And that, that usually kind of quiets it down. But that's something we've never had to deal with before, right? An apparatus in an incident within an incident, something happens. Do we want the fires crew to record or to gather that information? Yeah, I think we do. But we don't want to post that publicly. And I think what's really unique about one unique thing about FIRES is we've got 14 air tactical group supervisors assigned. They're all retired. They're all current. They're all Forest Service, CAL FIRE, Department of Interior. They all know each other. It's a very small community. But these are individuals that managed multi-million dollar programs that were senior executive chief officers. So their decision making is, you know, be like one of us sitting here, right? I mean, they, they understand what might be sensitive. They understand. They can think the two or three steps ahead and stay in front of any kind of political, you know, um, fallout, those sorts of things. So we're pretty fortunate that we have the ATGSs functioning as mission commanders on these two aircraft. So long answer again, I apologize, but um, pretty broad question. No, no need to apologize. That's great information. Um, you, you did touch, we, we did uh, touch a little bit on the, you know, the value statement of why it's valuable for, for the boots on the ground. So my next question really would be, um, who has access to Firus and how would they access Firus? Like what, who, who makes that call? You know what I mean? Um, you know, and then, and then again, does the agency have to pay for it? Is there a cost to it? So on and so forth. That's great. Right now, you know, all of the uh, notifications are on WhatsApp. You know, it's a, um, it's a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. It's grown uh, exponentially. Uh, the WhatsApp, you know, communication, they're adding phone numbers. I, I see it daily, just, I mean, dozens. I mean, there's, there's hundreds, if not thousands now that are getting this information. Unfortunately, you know, the feds, the uh, Forest Service, Department of Interior, they, they cannot they're not permitted on a government phone to download WhatsApp. Um, it's probably not as secure as I think as this thing grows. We don't believe it's the final solution for sharing information. Um, there are, uh, there's groups now working and researching on what could be replacing WhatsApp. It has to work for the feds. It has to work for everybody. It has to be secure. Then we go back to, can't be a password or, or a logon or nobody's going to use it. Could it be facial ID like, you know, some of our phones do. It's got to fit in all these things if it's going to be used. And to your question, Chief Geik, any fire service member can be signed up. It's no cost. 
you know, flying the aircraft, um, which is another good uh, point you made, is at no cost to the user. The flight hours have been budgeted. So this resource is available. If, if Chief Tubbs has a fire today and, and he'd like to, if it's not already responding, it's as quick as, hey, I'd like it to come. And, and uh, if you got, we floated on structure fires, oil spills, train derailments. I mean, anything you can imagine, it's available to aircraft 24 hours a day. But uh, virus alerts at ocfa.org or F-I-R-I-S alerts at fire or at ocfa.org and uh, you can sign in. We've got people here. It goes to a site here in Orange County and we just add the names. All you have to do is accept and you're in. Um, what I share with people is they'll be careful. Don't don't use it as a chat because literally hundreds will be getting your chat. So it's more of a, for me, it's more of a listen, watch, that sort of thing. But I did send um, information, uh, additional information to you both that maybe can get out to your members. But all fire service is included. No media has been added to any of that. Um, we've got a handful of policymakers that were interested in it. They're, they're broadcasting uh, the virus feeds at the state operations center on the big screen. So this is public information. Uh, and uh, not anything that is uh, is protected. So um, sharing is fine. And um, again, that causes some to get their hair up a little, but that's that's where we are today. That, that's the fire service. More information, not less. Sorry about that. Chief, you referred earlier to the, that there's some work being done on looking at different platforms to host this because of the concerns around WhatsApp. You also talked a little bit about uh, some of the complexities, right? It's sometimes the question isn't can we, but should we, and what this should look like. What do you see as kind of the next evolution of this platform? I see kind of where you're at. I mean, as we're learning, right, we're continuing to learn. Um, This is a work in progress. You know, the fire service is all about continued improvement. Some of those policy decisions, right, now that it's going to be a state program, you know, and you've got Cal OS managing it, but Cal Fire tucked in real close. I mean, they're obviously a primary user and they have their, their intelligence things is, is identifying what, what and when should be shared. And some of it is going to be intuitive, some not so much. I'll give you an example. The other day, I think it might have even been the Oak Fire. Um, early on, the first day, maybe even the first or second flight, there were structures burning. And... Um, the uh, uh, individual here that normally posts the videos smartly contact me and says, Hey, do you think we ought to post this to Twitter? I said, no. I said, let's let, you know, let the agencies communicate the ICs communicate that they've got, if it's obvious, it's obvious, but this was an IR feed, right? And so unless you really knew what you were looking at, I think most people wouldn't realize that, you know, there were structures on fire. So that's probably a policy decision that needs to be just, you know, discussed, at the state level, you know, what is, what is released, what is not. I'll tell you another thing that is really foreign and has taken uh, both the state and the feds a lot to get their heads around is the way we dispatch. This is an initial attack tool. This isn't a persistent surveillance, right? This is not, and we talked about unmanned aircraft, persistent surveillance by a predator or something else. That makes sense, right? They're doing their turns and 
This is an initial attack resource. It can come back and do like it's doing on the oak and the washburn and, and provide updates, but it's available to respond to your fires. We have a fusion center, uh, LA Fire Department runs it. They're providing information to those crews all day long about fires. Most of them are small, they do slow rates of spread. They all have a picture from a, a mountaintop camera. Well, the ATGS is the mission commanders assigned. They have the full latitude and autonomy to respond to whatever they want, whenever they want. This isn't a dispatch, hey, you wait for the dispatch, because we found out very quickly, if you do that, it's too late. Our system is not built for speed. And if you chief tubs make a request for it, it's going to go to the op area, then it's going to go to the region, then it's going to go, man, it's passed. But the fusion folks, they're using pulse point. They're using all kinds of other, you know, I think off the shelf information. It's amazing the number of fires. If you get on this virus thing, you'll see all these fires being posted and all these OES all day long. They're not flying all of them, but they're evaluating them. And because of their experience, um, you know, they'll launch on these and we call it a disciplined initiative. It's not self-dispatching. It's not freelancing. This is disciplined initiative, you know, by, you know, seasoned, experienced, you know, fire officers, because it's important that, you know, they get there quickly, give you and your folks on the ground, you know, the information that you need um, very, very quickly. If it's, if this, if the program relied upon getting requests and filling the requests, it would not be a useful resource that, that culturally was hard to accept because we are, all of us, you know, we grew up and we don't move until we're requested. Don't you go to that first alarm unless you're closer, right? Otherwise, it's, you know, you got somebody breathing. Air. We all want to go to the fires. But uh, so this was a pretty foreign concept for others to accept. But there really um, is no other way to get the aircraft to these fires other than allowing the mission commanders, the ATGSs, the authority and autonomy to have that disciplined initiative. Well, it certainly is a remarkable technology and just the short time that I've been using it, I really appreciate, you know, the speed at which that information, you know, is on my, on my phone instantly. I don't have to use a password. I just open it up. Boom. It's there. I get a notification. I just hit the notification. Um, at the very beginning of this podcast, you talked about the catalyst catalyst of this being kind of a question vision if you will of your uh of the mayor in san diego and you sort of took the ball and ran with that and you did this proof of concept at ocfa so you know one of the questions that's sort of been in my mind um certainly during this podcast but even beforehand is well what's next what's next for you and ocfa are there any other ideas that you guys um have been discussing or batting around that you think are opportunities to um, you know, sort of provide uh, better service, whether it's through this communications piece you're talking about or what, but anything in, in, in the pipeline? God, not, you know, not, not so much um, tech wise. I mean, this was a tough grind, um, you know, as we all know, having spent many decades in the fire service, anything new, Man, it's, it goes through a lot of, um, there's a lot of naysayers, there's, there's politics, there's, there's, we've got a lot of scar tissue with this one. We're glad to have gotten it over the, I'd like to say the finish line to where now it's an annual, you know, 
budgeted. It's, it's a state program. I mean, we recognized early on that this was bigger than any city, county, whatever. This really had state um, applicability. In fact, in 2019, we had then Chief Zagaris, uh, Director Pimlot from CAL FIRE, Giller Ducci, and, and General Baldwin down to General Atomics to do a presentation to show them, hey, this is this is coming. And again, that was 2017, I think it was. And so a few years later, here it is. Uh, we had no idea where it was going to go. We just thought, you know, that, hey, it, it made sense. And um, but absent, you know, Kyle Chief's push, you know, with the de-risk group, this wouldn't have been funded. I mean, we were at our last stop. I mean, we looked at the utilities to maybe fund. We looked at non-profit. I mean, we had... We beat the bushes to get this program funded, and it was really Cal Chiefs leading the DRIS group um, to have that meeting with Cal OES where funding was identified, and, and now here we are. So it was truly a team effort. You know, the, the Quick Reaction Force is a uh, program that we're working with with the utilities. We've got, you know, four uh, or four aircraft, but three uh, very large helitankers, uh, CH-47s and a 61 um, in the three counties down here, Ventura, LA, and, and Orange. And we use those uh, as the individual agency aircraft, 3,000 gallon dropping um, aircraft. But they're designed to quickly form up as a task force. If uh, somewhere within the, S, uh, the Edison service area, which is about 15 counties down here, there's a fire and there's a need for you know speed and force, um, it's a request and, and we're putting all four aircraft together and, and uh, responding. We've got a mobile retardant plant on uh, standby paying for it, 24 hours a day that responds with us. So we have the ability to drop retardant at night um, after the air tankers go home. Last year, they, they responded to uh, the Caldor fire and were the first aircraft to drop water at night in Northern California to drop retardant at night anywhere. So that program's expanding. Um, that's keeping us busy enough. Um, not looking, uh, I think, uh, Chief Guy can speak a little bit to what we talked about at our last fire scope board meeting. There's some things that we need to do as, as leadership in this state, um, and getting, uh, folks educated is the value of the mutual aid system. You know, you, all of us have been around a long time, but the turnover, uh, both at the city manager level, certainly at the elected level, and even the fire chief level, um, not, not as many as in the past can sit there and stand in front of their city council and city manager and say, yes, I've got empty fire stations, but this is why. It's a mutual aid system. It's temporary. We must support it because we're going to need it. And, and too often what's happening is um, fire chiefs are being directed not to close down those fire stations even for a short term, and thus we're not getting the support in the mutual aid system that we could. That's one factor. There's staffing. There's a ton of other things, but I, I think you're going to see fire scope expand uh, in terms of who's on the board, the fire service uh, agencies. Do they have the right representation? So um, I'll defer to Chief Geick, but I think there's going to probably be more effort, you know, the Cal Chiefs, fire scope, all of these associations, more so than just any single agency. 
Yeah, that was a that was a really interesting meeting we had last time. Uh, I think that's uh, in of itself is, is probably a great uh, podcast in the future to uh, uh, you know look into our state mutual aid system and you know and quite frankly some of the challenges that we're going to have uh, coming up. But uh, to, to touch back on on the virus, you know, I really wanted to just commend you and your agency and all of the partners that came together because when you think about what this project is and how much of a heavy lift it is. It's, it's very impressive. Number one, that your, um, that your organization was able to uh, do that partner with the right people, get this thing off the ground and actually make it functional. And then going from a uh, really a, a pilot program all the way to uh, something, a resource that's going to be, you know, just so valuable to all of us in the upcoming years is is uh, is something to that you should be proud of. Number one, and uh, number two, it also really should give us an example of of how to to look to the future to have those big ideas um, to to partner with technology companies because I know there's a ton of technology companies out there that want to help us in the fire service and public safety, but they really don't know where to start sometimes. And I think the ability for us to bring real world experience to uh, these technology companies, um, bring those two things together and see what we can do um, is really going to be an important thing for all of us to do in the future in the fire service. Um, one thing I know that uh, I talked to Chief uh, Muncie from San Bernardino County. Uh, he had the opportunity uh, just recently to go to Microsoft with a lot of the Metro Chiefs. And they had an opportunity to tour Microsoft. And um, there's some tremendous opportunities there in technology to uh, partner with them. Um, but it's going to take agencies like, your, uh, like yourselves that have some resources that um, can give give that vision and actually put those things together. So again, I just really have to commend you and and, and your agency for doing that because um, I couldn't imagine how heavy of a lift <laughs> it, it, it would have been. And, and to your point, I'm, I'm sure you probably have some long lasting scars from that. You know, you just gotta just gotta rub some dirt on it and, and move on. But you know, those those are things that we do sometimes. But uh, again, just a great job. And, uh, you know, the, the California Fire Service uh, should really be uh, thanking you and your organization for doing that. So um, any any thoughts on or any recommendations based upon if if a, if a if a if an agency, if a, if a department um, wanted to do something like this, like what would your best advice be for you? And you don't have to get into a ton of detail, but what would your best advice be for an agency that wants to look at technology like this that could possibly help us and eventually turn it into an idea to a pilot program to a, a state run, um, you know, program that we have today. What would your advice be on that, Brian? Well, we got, you know, both our, you know, all of our agencies have some really bright people, right? And the folks we're hiring man, are, are far, far more technology savvy than the three of us. I mean, that's an understatement, right? So many of them have, you know, really great ideas, but probably like you, there's a lot of great ideas out there, but not too many people that will take that idea and actually work through it. And then if you're not the fire chief, right, if you're somewhere further down, um, 
man, trying to get buy-in within your own organizations, a challenge, right? When let's face it, change is not something that uh, we talk about it a lot. We, it sounds good, but man, once it happens, right? It's a, uh, if it even happens, it, it's, it's tough. So I think in many ways, you know, some of the reason it was able to push on is because enough people at high levels, you know, got together with this common purpose, this common vision and pushed it on. Um, but it was hard, right? And, and change with other agencies. We've had the experience more than once that if it's not another agency's idea, sometimes it's, it's squashed or poo-pooed or actually fought. And so I think the fire service as a whole at all levels, at the executive level, agency, I mean, uh, policymaker, we got to do a better job of embracing each other's ideas and technology. You know, if Cal Fire has some new Wazoo thing or whatever, hey, I'm all over. I want it. You know, Forest Service, whoever it is, comes up with something that's useful. I don't care whose idea it was. We want it. If somebody, if local government comes up with something, shouldn't have to be a big battle, you know, with the feds and, and Cal Fire. So I think we need to do a better job as, as fire service, you know, executive fire chiefs, the associations, and really, and I think it is getting better because of this and some of the scar tissue and the conversations. Um, it shouldn't be a battle to provide something that um, benefits the public, benefits the fire service. And unfortunately, it, it turns into that. And um, But every time we do one of these things, it becomes a little bit easier. So, Chief, I, you know, I think it's persistence. You know, if one of your people, if you or, or any other got to be willing to do the long what well, once once you start right that was kind of the thing there were a lot of opportunities maybe say okay i give but it was just too good a thing to give up and so it just it you know if we hadn't connected on the funding there wouldn't be the fires but we had to keep with every door shutting we had to find a way around and another way around we just it was persistence and i think that was was the key so those of you with great ideas and you're willing to throw them out there, you better be ready for the long haul and the big push. And again, the, the California uh, Fire Chiefs Association has proven time and time again to stand you know, with its members and support these programs. This wouldn't have happened if Cal Chiefs hadn't gotten the D-Risk group back together and flew to Sacramento and met with Calavera. So my thanks to you all. It, you know, Brian, the thing that really jumps out at me in today's conversation, you're, you're touching right on it, is this, this idea of the importance of having the courage and the tenacity to see a vision through when all the odds are stacked against it, stacked against us. And I think all of us know, you know, as our time as fire chiefs, there's many reasons, many challenges that we're balancing and good excuses to say, no, I don't have the time. I don't have the bandwidth. Uh, this is too hard. But I echo um, Ray's comments of uh, gratitude, just how much I appreciate your willingness for you, the other stakeholders in your agency to do this work. And it's a really, it's a powerful legacy. Uh, you know, we're all going to benefit from that. And uh, I'm just very, very grateful for that. So thank you. Thanks, and, and as we sort of wind down this uh, podcast, first of all, we really appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know you're juggling a million things. Uh, we're, we're really grateful that you took time out to talk about this initiative. I know we'll have you back on, uh, probably another 
topic or two. But before we close, any final words or parting thoughts? No, no just um, again, and, and it's not just lip service, but you know, now having been engaged and, and involved with Cal Chiefs at a higher level, you know, I see I see the work that's getting done that maybe I didn't see. Um, as a fire chief that maybe just showed up at the conference or maybe just opened the, the newsletter. Um, there are a lot of things going on in the state that deserve all of our attentions, whether you're a Metro chief or, or a chief with one station, whatever it is. And um, I appreciate you guys, you know, Ray for taking the, um, taking the torch from chief Stefano. I mean, he kind of opened the lid, man, you've pried it back and chief tubs, you're going to be, I mean, if you let your foot off the acceleration now, we're going to fall back quickly. And so many organizations that oppose the initiatives that we have in support of our communities would love to see that. And so we talk about courage and tenacity and those things. I applaud you all. And again, this isn't just lip service or patting each other on the back. Man, we're in a we're in a heck of a fight right now here in the state. And people say, "Man, it looks like the the war may be ahead." I, I tell them, "It's here. It's here. If we want to protect what we have and serve the communities the way that we know, you know, makes best sense for them, you know, we it's unfortunate, but we have to fight for that." So I encourage all the members of Fire Chiefs Association uh, to pay attention, to talk to their their uh, representatives to attend the conference, but to pay attention because it affects us all, not just the big or the small, but everything in between. So my, my hat's off to you guys for, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you can spend that kind of time and still uh, something back home, whether it's family and, and uh, your, your regular job takes a hit, you know? Uh, and so you, thanks for your sacrifice. Alice. It's my pleasure, and it's been a it's been a great opportunity for me to to serve Cal Chiefs as the president. And uh, I'm coming up to my end in the next couple of months, and um, I, I received a great uh, team uh, from President Stefano. I'm going to hopefully pass on um, a good one as well to uh, to President Tubbs. And uh, but it takes more than just the presidents; it takes our whole. Um, executive board, our area directors, all of our sections uh, coming together and working. Uh, we have such a great uh, group of subject matter experts out there. But again, that, that brings up a great point that um, there's so many opportunities to get involved um, either at your county chiefs level or with Cal chiefs. And, um, you know, I, I would just encourage people if they're not already involved, get involved. Uh, we need everyone to help. Um, it's it's a ton of work to get done, um, but I would just encourage you if if you're not involved, um, you know, get involved. If you're not part of Cal Chiefs, maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're not a member, you know, and then you're asking yourself, what value does Cal Chiefs bring to me? Well, I, I think we 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 touched on a few things that Cal Chiefs does uh, today that that maybe we can, uh, you know, that's our value proposition. As I think we have some of. The, the great leaders in California fire service uh, represented in Cal in Cal chiefs. And, um, you know, so I would just encourage you to, to really consider if you're not a member, becoming a member uh, today. Um, and again, we, we have a great program coming up on our conference and, um, and with this podcast, I think it's a, it's a, it's a super opportunity to share information um, again, like this information that we had today, 
this is very difficult to articulate in a, in a, in a, in a letter. <laughs> you know what I mean? We can't do it and effectively. So, um, Brian, just really appreciate you coming on today with us. Um, and, you know, I, I know it's going to be um, uh, really looked at favorably from uh, everyone that listens to this podcast. You gave us a ton of great information. Um, Chief Tubbs, do we, I, I know we've been looking for other ideas. We have a ton of ideas ourselves, but I know there's an, an email that, that people can write. Can you give us that email and just uh, finish this out today? Yeah, it's, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So the email uh, that we've set up for folks to send in topics or ideas that they'd like us to, to discuss is podcasts, that's with an S plural, at calchiefs.org. So if you have any topics that we've not talked about that you'd like to hear about, uh, or if you'd like to join us and talk about something, uh, please reach out to us in that email address. So, Chief, again, um, on behalf of Ray and I, we, we really appreciate you taking time out of your day and diving into this subject, uh, which I think a lot of people have a lot of questions. And uh, we really appreciate you giving us the background and, and kind of all of the insights that you have about the program. So thank you very much. All right. Thank you, guys.